some of you may have heard this already, but uh, it's been emphasized that this revival, and it really is, it had a very unremarkable beginning. It was a very unremarkable chapel service. And uh, even the speaker himself said, uh, you would not have thought that my message would have been a conduit to revival. But like you just said, Brittany, that there was there was an uh, environment of Christians being open, vulnerable, sharing with one another, praying for one another and worshiping Jesus together that just began to attract other people and keep attracting them and attracting them. And do you know that that auditorium holds 1,100 people and it has been full to the max and overflowing for 10 days straight, 24 hours a day, with the exception of a short period the university closed it for the student's safety, and that they have lines half a mile long to get into it. I mean, it really reminds me of when Jesus was on the earth and the crowds, when Jesus was present, they would follow him anywhere because the presence of God was among them. Okay. Um, it is absolutely beautiful what Jesus is doing. He is saving one and two and three and ten and twelve. He is delivering hundreds and thousands from anxiety, from addiction, from fear, from pornography. One of the things they say that's marking this revival is incredible amounts of confession of sin among young people. Unprompted. Uninvited. They're not calls from the front. They're just prostrating themselves before the Lord because He's present, He's working, and they sense He loves me. He's not condemning me. He loves me. And they're giving themselves to Him. And they don't want to stop worshiping. They don't want to leave. It's Jesus. And Jesus was, was with us last week catching us up together in what He was doing. And the joy of what He was doing as He caught us up last week was, was just, it filled this place. For everyone who participated, uh, we were caught up, even though we were praying about the most serious thing, the gospel and the salvation of the world and the unsaved. There was a joy in working with Jesus. And I believe the Lord has a very simple message for us this morning uh, that is about joy and his desire to give joy and uh, to give insurmountable joy to us as we work with him. There's a dynamic that uh, is very present all the way through the Gospels in terms of what it takes to work with Jesus, right? He calls us friends and co-laborers. We're his servants, but we're also friends and co-laborers. And how do we work with him? So there's a dynamic that um, I want to open up because it was at work it was at work last week as we were worshiping, but it's also all through the Gospels. And we're going to just look at one story in the Gospels. It occurs, I think, in Matthew 14, uh, Luke, maybe 9, John 6, and Mark 6. All four, the feeding of the 5,000. And don't turn to anyone if you've got your Bibles, because we're going to do something a little different. We're going to watch a reenactment of it 
that draws on all four accounts. So they try to pull in that you get a different angle, camera angle from each account, right? And so we're going to watch this clip from The Chosen Season 3. If you're listening online later, you can access this at uh, angel.com. Chosen Season 3, start at minute 41, and you go through to about 49. So could you dim the lights, Mark, and then could we play this? And then we'll uh, talk about it. Lights, Ray?
think the thing that captures me the most about the the story <clears throat> is the joy. I mean, obviously, there's interpretation involved in in um, portraying it. Did the miracle happen before they distributed it? Did the miracle happen as they distributed it? It's not clear. What's clear is a little bit of bread fed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, 10 to 15,000 plus people, right? And these disciples got caught up in, and I just love the way they portray the joy and the music at the end because it's like, it's incredible. They move from this situation of anxiety, the situation of emptiness, the situation of dread, of we've got nothing, um, we're up against a wall, they're out in the middle of nowhere, there's no way to get through this, to all of a sudden, this isn't an issue. <laughs> We've just witnessed an absolute miracle, and not only witnessed it, we're getting to participate in it. Like the joy of sharing with Jesus in what he does is just so overwhelming, right? And, and yet that joy is on the other side of facing this moment that every one of us faces if we're following Jesus, if we're listening to Jesus, if we're bringing things to Jesus, and he's asking us to confront the impossible. Feed them. And they're all staring at him, right? Like, uh, yeah, we, we heard you, but it's not quite computing. right? Feed them. I mean, I, maybe this will help you. I brought this along. This is a little piece of bread. And this is a little piece of chicken. We don't have fish in the fridge. I mean, if I called four elders forward and I said, all right, it's potluck time. <laughs> Feed them. You, you'd look at me like, I hear you, but this doesn't add up. What do you want me to do with that? Can you imagine the humility and the faith that it took for these disciples to start obeying Jesus? Like if that's the way it took place, they're breaking these seven loaves and putting them into these 12 baskets, thinking we're going to step out there and start handing out these empty baskets that have a couple fragments of bread in the bottom of it, right? That's an incredible uh, amount of, of humility and faith. And I think when Jesus asks you to do something that's clearly impossible, every one of us... Um, in, it has this immediate major conflict that we've got to face. And, you know, no amount of, like, trying to make the math work or staring at the impossible long enough or thinking about Jesus' comment, no amount of that can make the, the situation resolve. Like, you just can't... You can't think your way through when you're following him, when you're obeying him. You can't look at you can't look at the people and look at the situation, and look at the food long enough until it's going to actually 
change enough for you to be able to step out and start obeying him. You, you're tracking with me? Okay. Because Jesus hasn't changed. We're following the same Jesus who still meets impossible situations and still has the provision to overcome them and to change them. And this is what we encountered last week when we were in worship, okay? When we're worshiping and we get the picture um, of a newspaper with Jesus' name splattered across the front page, that's impossible. Unless there's a miracle that takes place. And when you get the guidance like that, okay, I've got written in the front of my Bible. I'm going to pause for a quick sec. Things that quench the flow of the Holy Spirit working through us. Control, fear, unbelief, negative critical self-talk, and reasoning in your mind. Okay, so I'm standing right here, and I have that picture, and... Reasoning in your mind is different than discernment, okay? I immediately did discernment. Hey, is this something the Lord would say? Yes. How do I know that? The scriptures tell me that the glory of God is going to fill the earth like the waters cover the sea, which means there's a coming day that even though we can't see it right now, he is going to be famous among the nations. The nations will be drawn to the place of his rest and it shall be glorious, says Isaiah. The world will know about the glory of King Jesus. It's coming. The kingdom is coming. He will come and bring it in its fullness. I know that to be theologically true. I know that to be biblically true. So when Jesus says, I want my name to be famous, I know this is probably from the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then I start thinking about it. What on earth would it take for Jesus' name to be famous and particularly in the newspapers where most or much of the people that are writing the news right now are woke, progressive, liberal, anti-Christ. Not all of them, Neil. Not all of them. Okay? But many of them. Okay? So what's it going to take for Jesus' activity in our nation, in our world, to become so glorious that His name is covered in the newspapers? It doesn't take me about half a second to start reasoning and think, this is crazy. This is not possible. This does not look like it's going to happen. But if you reason in your mind in that moment, you get, you block the flow of the Holy Spirit. So I didn't reason. I moved us in. And then you all got caught up. And actually, you experienced the same dynamic. Because you prayed things that are impossible. Jay, you prayed that the caste system in India would come crashing down because Jesus was so exalted in the nation. There's over a billion people that have been in bondage to Satan, most of them for hundreds of years, serving thousands and even millions of false gods. For this to come true, for this to take place, is a miracle only Jesus can ring about, right? For Kim Jong-un to come to faith, for Jesus 
to be manifest at the Super Bowl, Nancy, for, Je- for Jesus to move in signs and wonders in Egypt. All of these things, if you start to reason in your mind, you will not step out in obedience. Now, sometimes it's easier to pray a prayer than it is to step in and do something. Okay? Jesus was telling his disciples, do something. Feed them. And when they stepped out in obedience to what he told them to do, which was clearly impossible, just let me camp there for a second. He told them to do something that wasn't possible. Apart from him. But he didn't tell them, I'm going to work. Neither in scripture nor on the clip. He didn't say, you go feed them, and while you're feeding them, I'll be working a miracle. He said, feed them. What do you have? Oh, let me break it and offer a blessing. Now go give it. You do it. You step in. You step out. The sense that I've got is that we are at a moment in history and in the world, but also as a congregation where Jesus is wanting to release incredible amounts of joy to us and through us, where he has got uh, in front of us multitudes to feed, as it were. He's got um, incredible amounts of miraculous provision to give but it's going to happen as we step out in faith to his guidance which appears impossible so he is going to give callings to some of us do this and it's not going to feel possible he's going to call some of us to move in, in certain generosity, and it's not going to feel possible. He's going to call some of us to go to certain places or locations, and it's not going to feel possible. Lord, that's not possible. He's going to, he's going to start moving on some of us to do certain things in our workplaces, and it's not going to feel possible. Jesus, don't you know? But when we step out in faith... We get to experience the joy of seeing him do something that he knew was in his heart to do and that he desired to do, but he also determined not to do unless we were obedient and allowed him to work through us. So... How do we enter into this? I I want us to notice just a couple of things before I wrap up and we move to some worship. The disciples did well to bring the situation to Jesus. To make him aware. But you'll notice they offered him a solution of their own making. Because they'd already determined this isn't possible. We need to get rid of these people. We need to send them home. Don't bring Jesus your solutions 
Bring Jesus your situation with faith and expectation that he has a solution. For some of us, it's going to be a stretch even to think to bring Jesus our impossible situations because we're not even expecting anything from him. And so we aren't bringing them. Some of us, Jesus is saying, bring to me your impossible. Bring it to me and ask me how I want to work. So bring it to Jesus. Listen. Jesus, how do you want to work in this situation? Jesus, what do you want to do? Jesus, how should we pray about this? And then step out in faith to his guidance. Second thing I want to note is that what the disciples saw as, I don't want to say catastrophe, but urgent need, desperate need, a really dire situation, Jesus saw as an opportunity to reveal the Father's glory. What the disciples looked on and viewed as dire, Jesus saw as an opportunity to reveal this is what God is like. He's generous. He knows your need. He provides for you. He works wonders. He cares. He feeds you. How might things change? How might situations change if we learned all the more to ask, God, how do you view the situation? Jesus, how do you view it? How do you want to reveal the Father right now? How do you want to reveal the Father? I'm gonna, I want to end here. I know I've said it already, but I've got to say it again. Um, I just have had such a joy, such a joy bubbling in my spirit um, as I see the season that we're entering into and I see what Jesus is beginning to do. And um, I really believe that he's bringing th- this revival that has begun is going to sweep the nation. And I believe we've got to be ready for it to impact us here and for church to be very different. I want to share one thing real briefly before I close. Um, maybe we'll share this publicly with you later, but I'll just share real brief right now. Some of you will recognize the name Dutch Sheets. He's an older intercessor leader, mature Christian leader. He's been teaching about prayer for 40 years. He wrote a book on intercession in the 90s. And two weeks before the revival at Asbury started, he was interviewed. And in the interview, he retold something that happened to him after 9-11, when, when the Twin Towers were hit on the Monday, he was scheduled to travel to, I think, Idaho and speak at a conference. And he got there on Friday, and he said, it's the only time in my life I did not want to go, and I did not want to speak. I had, no, I had nothing to say. And, you know, nobody had anything to say. He said, it was such a, a tragic moment. He said, but I, I went out of faithfulness. I got up. I was speaking. I don't remember what I was saying. But as I was speaking, I began to see uh, Acts 3, verse 19 on the back wall. 
And he said, I knew what it said. It was about when people turn from their sin, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. So he said, internally, I said, God, uh, I can see that you're wanting to speak. I'll go there in just a minute. And he said, the moment I said, I'll go there in just a minute, it started to flash. And he said, okay, God, I sense you want to say something right now. So he began to just tell people, I'm sorry, I'm putting down my my notes. I'm not talking about this. The Lord wants me to talk to you about Acts 3.19. He began to talk to them. And as he began to talk to them, he said, this has only ever happened to me twice in my life. I began to experience an open vision. It was like a movie screen was playing across the back wall. And he said, it was so surreal. I didn't know what to do with it. But I just began to narrate to the group group of about 1,500 conference attendees, this is what's happening, this is what I'm seeing. He said, I'm seeing a revival. And he began to describe a revival that would break out among the young people of this country on the colleges and university campuses. And he he described it for 30 plus minutes. And he named the specific campuses where it would begin to hit. And then he said, it will sweep the world. And, And he Uh, spoke this. This happened to him in 2001. And he spoke it two weeks before this Asbury revival broke out. I I should send you the clip, but what's so, um, so interesting about it is that how Jesus was going to sweep across this generation, kind of like another Jesus revolution from the 70s, right? Jesus movement. And draw all kinds of young people to Jesus, but they they were really going to struggle with getting connected to the traditional church. And that we were going to need to know how to love on them in difficult and sometimes messy ways. But that as we did, Jesus would bring in a harvest. Okay, so I, I really feel like we're on the precipice of the Lord doing something mighty, a lot of joy, but we've got to be willing, just like those disciples were so incredibly stretched by Jesus and yet got to experience overwhelming joy as they stepped out in faith. I think that's our situation, church. We're praying for revival. We're going to be stretched by Jesus. But as we go with him, we're going to experience incredible joy at seeing the multitudes get fed. Okay, let's, let's, let's stand let's, um, and let's, let's worship the Lord and let's ask him to... Um, strengthen faith in us.